0: Have you ever used an app or a mobile device or some kind of tracker to monitor your health or to keep track of your health?
1: I'm always looking at healthcare apps and I'm always looking for things that are going to maximize my personal performance because I want to ensure that I can be healthy and extend my lifespan past 100. I use a number of apps that are kind of related to keeping track of medical information feminine-related tracking that I found really helpful and beneficial.
0: I, I do use apps all the time. In fact, I've lost 41 pounds since March 28th. So I probably have three or four apps on my phone. i um, got one called Lose It, and I've been carless in Seattle for three years. So I walk and walk and walk. You know, there's the Apple heart-shaped app right there. It tells me uh, I wa- I'm averaging 12,000 steps this week. Welcome to the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast. I'm reporter James Thorne. You just heard MJ Vihill, Morgan Sage, and Buzz Bruggeman, who spoke to us earlier this month at the GeekWire Summit. A lot of us are using apps and devices to stay healthy, but these are just the beginning of a wave of technologies that promise to give our smartphones health superpowers. On this week's episode, we are talking to Shyam Golakota, an associate professor of computer science at the University of Washington. Sham has been doing crazy things with smartphones and smart speakers like Alexa, turning them into sonar machines that can detect heart attacks, opioid overdoses, and even something as simple as an ear infection. We're going to hear from him about how these smart devices could one day save our lives. GeekWire's Health Tech
1: Podcast is sponsored by Primera Blue Cross providing comprehensive health benefits and tailored services to approximately 2 million people, from individuals to Fortune 100 companies. Learn more about how Primera is innovating in healthcare at
0: Primera.com innovation. Before Shyam Golakota became involved in healthcare, he was working in wireless networks. His company, Jiva Wireless, makes it possible for devices to communicate with very little energy. But lately, Sham's work has been all about healthcare. Recently, his team showed off a smart speaker that can monitor sleeping babies. They think this can be used to track sleep and spot breathing problems.
1: The way it works is we transmit acoustic signals from the speaker, and these signals reflect off the infant body, and we're going to get the reflections back at the microphone array on the smart speaker. And when the person is breathing or when the infant is breathing, the reflections are going to arrive at a different time instance, depending on whether you're exhaling or inhaling. We can figure out the exact breathing pattern of the infant. We can get exactly where the baby is, how they're moving. For example, are they rolling to the side? And we can get all this information by just using your simple Alexa device. You actually
0: used cell phones in a separate effort to monitor the breathing of people who are using opioids.
1: Yeah, so as you know, one of the big challenges which we are facing in this country is the opioid overdose problem. If you're going to have an opioid overdose event, you're going to stop breathing. And after that, your oxygen saturation levels go down. And then finally, you have a cardiac arrest. So you basically have from anywhere between seven to nine minutes to the point where you can actually save the person. Because the good news about opioid overdoses is that if you can provide naloxone, within that window of seven to nine minutes, you can reverse the overdose event the idea is again to transform the phone into an active sonar system similar to how a bat works where we send inaudible signals from the speaker of the phone, look at the reflections from the human body and we then track their breathing on the, on the microphones on the phone itself we did this in the lab first but then we were trying to figure out if this would this actually work in the wild with actual opioid patients and to do this we went to Vancouver, Canada has a much more progressive policy so they actually have a supervised injection facilities where they provide a safe means for people to come and inject their own opioids. And if something happens, if they have an opioid overdose event, they have medical professionals staffed, which can basically reverse it in a timely manner. We deployed this in the supervised injection facility with around 210 to 220 different patients. And we showed that we can very accurately, with about 98% accuracy, figure out when someone stops breathing in this uncontrolled environment.
0: So obviously, This reminds everyone of Batman, turning off the lights, using sonar to see where the bad guys are and beating everybody up. When you're working on this kind of thing, do you kind of get that sense of glee? Like, I'm working on things that I've seen in movies.
1: I think artists are pretty good at coming up with things which potentially can help people so while the inspiration are these movies we're not really trying to snoop on people While being cognizant that this technology could be potentially used to snoop on people we are trying to use this technology to help people and diagnose medical conditions
0: so you've been named forbes 30 under 30 i think twice Uh, (laughs) what is that like to get that kind of recognition at such a young age
1: I think it was uh, it was overwhelming. You know, when you're sitting in the lab and doing a lot of research, you have a lot of self doubt sometimes about like, is this actually relevant to people actually care about this stuff? And sometimes external validation helps. It's not the only thing you need. But sometimes getting it basically, gives, gives you a little bit of encouragement that you're on the right path and you are doing things which actually do matter.
0: You went to undergraduate at the Indian Institute of Technology, Madras. Then you got your PhD from MIT, then you came to Seattle. But I'd love to get into before all of that, you know, were you one of these kids that would get a computer, get a new device, and just immediately take it apart and, and figure out what it was like? Actually, I
1: was the first computer I actually played with was in my undergrad. So it was 2002. Was the first computer I really I didn't know how to program. In fact, I didn't even know how to type. It's just that I didn't grow up in a place where computers were a thing which people use on a regular basis. And I was really excited about maths. That was my thing. But then I realized that. Computer science is just not about programming. It's not about learning a different programming language, like C or Java. It's about how do you think about solving problems? And these problems can basically be something from trying to do battery-free computers all the way to health. And that means that if you actually can get a degree in computer science, you can have a huge impact in the real world. And that's what got me excited about getting a computer science degree, despite not knowing even how to type. (laughs) When you think about the work that you do,
0: I I think to an outsider, a lot of it looks like you're hacking devices. Do you consider yourself a hacker or do you not see it that way?
1: I think of myself as uh, pushing the limits of what devices can do. So for example, in the context of health, we are trying to push the limits of what the ubiquitous devices like your smartphones and smart speakers can actually do. And it's kind of important because we're not just applying brute force things which are pretty straightforward, but we are using in the sensors and computing which is already available on these devices in very innovative ways to basically do innovative things. And I think that requires a bit of creativity, and I think um, I have really creative students who basically can pull it off. So you recently came out with a smartphone app that
0: You literally just put a paper cone on the end of your smartphone, put the cone in your kid's ear, and it can detect the likelihood that they have an ear infection.
1: You know, this technology is one reason why I get out of bed. It's so innovative and creative, and it's also very DIY kind of a thing. And the reason why people get ear infections is because it's a fluid buildup behind the eardrum. The question we asked is, can you use a smartphone, which any parent without having to go to the hospital can figure out if this fluid build is actually building up behind the eardrum. And the idea is basically, again, to use your phone as an active sonar system. What we do is we have a simple paper cone, which we attach to the phone, and we send a simple audible chirp, which which actually sounds very relaxing. And this chirp reflects off the eardrum. And we're going to get the reflections at the microphone on the phone again. So when there is fluid, the eardrum is not going to move a lot because it's going to be constrained in terms of its mobility. But when there is no fluid, the eardrum is going to vibrate a lot, which means that it absorbs most of the energy, which means that the reflections are going to be pretty weak. So by... Training this over 150 infant years, we actually showed that by using a simple machine learning algorithm, we can classify between situations when there is fluid behind the eardrum versus there's no fluid behind the eardrum. And this is, as you said, it's pretty useful because all you need is a paper cone which you stick to your phone. And you just put it in the ear, it takes less than a second to basically get the whole thing done. Talk to me about like, how important it is to put these technologies into the hands of patients so that they're not constantly having to engage with the healthcare system. So think of this from the perspective of the parent who basically has to do two jobs, and their kid has potentially has a ear infection. They had to take their kid to the hospital, and they had to wait in the waiting room, and then getting the diagnosis, which potentially takes 10 to 15 minutes. That's a huge amount of time commitment for a simple test, which can potentially be done in the home itself. And it also enables situations where you can reduce the cost of healthcare by reducing the number of emergency visits to the hospital. So, given this ability to screen for ear infections, we started the company called EDUS Health, which is basically trying to figure out if we can use a smartphone based uh, solution to make uh, pediatric healthcare much more accessible and reduce the cost of healthcare.
0: You just mentioned a startup that you launched out of UW. You've now launched or helped to launch a couple of startups out of the work that you've been doing there. Talk to me about how that process has been and sort of why it's important for you and the other researchers at the University of Washington to get these products out into the marketplace.
1: So I think the impact a person can have as a researcher is not just to write papers and publish things, but it's also potentially to get the technology in the hands of people. So I think making sure that the tech transfer happens, whether it is by licensing it to a company or by doing a startup to make sure that the technology gets in the hands of people is very important. Uh, and I think commotion, which is, as you know, commotion is a tech transfer wing of, of UW, really enables us to do that. Uh, you need the students who are willing to basically take this leap to do the startup. When we come back to the GeekWire Health Tech
0: podcast, Sean will talk about how he thinks we can balance privacy with these technologies. We'll also hear about the role of bees in collecting data on climate change. This season of the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast is presented by Primera Blue Cross. At Primera, we talk about what we do all day. We offer access to health care. The card in the pocket allows people to go get access to health care. Dr. John Espinola is Executive Vice President of healthcare Services for Primera Blue Cross. The challenge we have is that we know that the health care that they get access to doesn't work as well as it could. So, we have a duty at Primera to make healthcare work better. That's our job. We give people access to healthcare, yet, we give them access to something that's subpar. We have a moral and fiduciary obligation to do better. We're going to do it in partnership with those who may touch the moment of care providers, innovators, entrepreneurs. All of these are going to help us move in the direction we need to to make healthcare work better. We're bold enough to take the risk to try to do something that'll make a difference and learn from it and be better along the way. To find out more, visit Primera.com slash innovation. Welcome back to the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast. We've been talking with Shyam Golakota, a professor of computer science at the University of Washington, who has been using the hidden potential of smart devices to help save lives. We asked around at the GeekWire Summit about the constant use of apps to monitor health. Privacy came up as an issue. Some people were concerned and others not so much. I think I'd be weary of how the company is utilizing my information and whether I'm consenting to that and kind of knowing what they're doing with that info in terms of maybe selling it to third parties. I think I would have a problem with that. In general, I'm pretty private.
1: You know, more information has been coming out about what is being done with personal data. I've been scrutinizing much more who the company is. But I think if I had, you know, certain medical conditions where, you know, maybe giving those permissions to tech would be value-add in my life. I could see making the argument for it.
0: Now that I'm 70, I don't worry about privacy, whatever it is. I mean, I believe that we ought to find a way to drive the cost out of the system. Thank you to David Larson, as well as Morgan and Buzz from earlier in the show, for their thoughts on privacy. I asked Shom how he thinks we can monitor people's health around the clock while still respecting their privacy.
1: So one of the good things about what we are doing is that we're not actually recording anything in the audible range. So any of your audible sounds, which typically break your privacy, are not being captured by our technology. So that's the first good news with our technology. So you could imagine that when people use this technology for other things, like, for example, your web browsers or something else, when you're basically, for example, if you're browsing a website, I want to figure out how you are reacting to a particular news, and your breathing typically can get affected by your reaction to it. Those kind of things can potentially happen. And they having a camera on, potentially people can figure out how you're feeling. And I think it's extremely important to... Uh, figure out what's happening with our data. I think that's really, really important about making sure that the data which is being used is only locally being processed. Nothing is going to the cloud. And you're not really storing any of the data except for the vital signs, which the person has already agreed to basically have. And it's also important as to figuring out who owns that data. Do my vital signs belong to me or do they belong to the hospital or the company which is monitoring it? I think navigating these questions is basically a very, very important question in the broader sense of what we are trying to deal with in society with AI and how it can really transform our digital space.
0: What was kind of the first project you worked on where you you sort of took that bridge over into healthcare?
1: So this is back in 2000 or 2014, where we did a lot of work on trying to use Wi-Fi as a gesture recognition sensor where you could just move in any room and you could potentially perform gestures. And depending on how the Wi-Fi signals reflects off your body, we can figure out exactly how you're moving. So the next natural question which happened was, can I transform your smartphone into a Star Trek tricorder? And if you're familiar with Star Trek, which I assume most people are, they have this Tricorder device, which is a basically a device which you can scan the person in a contactless manner and it automatically gives you all the vital signs and so on. So the question we asked was, can we basically get... Vital signs in a contactless manner using your smartphone. And that's how we started this project called Apnea App, where we showed that we can use a smartphone, which is completely contactless, and you can put it on your bedside, and it can diagnose if you have sleep apnea or not by contactlessly tracking your breathing rate. So you
0: use the term contactless. I've also heard the term ambient monitoring, but the idea is kind of the same. You have devices that are all around us constantly you know, checking in on us, checking in on
1: our, our health state. So why are these technologies so important? So if you think about how you get your healthcare. you go to a doctor, they do a spot monitoring of, of your vital signs for like your heart rate, your breathing, your blood pressure, and all these different things. But it's a spot check. It's not something where you're actually getting a continuous monitoring of your signals. And sometimes when you're getting a spot check, you might miss what's really happening. So if you have an ability where without Having the user to do things actively, but you can just passively sit there and monitor the vital signs of the person, you have a greater probability of catching some some of these anomalies, which are really hard to catch.
0: So I know we're you're here to talk about healthcare, but you also have a lot of other projects, you know, outside of that space. For last year, you put sensors on bumblebees to create this living Internet of Things platform. Tell me about
1: that. This is one of those things where I feel like this is exactly what gets me super excited about being a faculty, where we can really push the boundaries of what we can do with technology. The big challenge with drones today is power consumption. Because if you have a drone, even the best drone lasts for maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes. So the question really is, can we do solutions where you're taking the best of biology and the best of electronics to address these problems? power issues. The idea is that insects like bees and beetles and all these other insects, they can fly. You don't need to change the battery for them to fly because they can feed themselves and they're extremely efficient in terms of how, how much they can fly with the energy they have. So the idea was if we can back sensing on top of these insects then we can basically do opportunistic sensing in a farm for example, where let's say you put 10 bees or 50 bees or you put these sensors on top of these bees, as they fly out into the wild and they collect the data they come back at the end of the day. This actually has implications for biology as well because People who are trying to understand the behavior of bees or insects with climate change and understanding their behavior is really hard because you need sensors which can, you can put on these very tiny insects and that doesn't exist. And that's basically exactly what we are providing here. We are providing very tiny Uh, sensors, which even a tiny bee can carry, which means that you can understand their behavior pattern about what's happening with their, how they're actually going to different parts of the farm in terms of pollination, what's happening in terms of why they're dying off.
0: Was there ever a point when you're, you know, you're sitting there with live bees and thinking about how you're going to attach sensors to them that you just thought like, what are we doing?
1: Uh, I think it was one of those things where I felt like I get to learn something new every day. <laughs> I think that's one of the advantages of being a faculty because you get to learn something new every day. Basically, I did wireless networking as my PhD. Um, in healthcare, every, day, every problem is completely different because every organ company acts pretty different from each other. So diagnosing it is pretty different. So learning something new every day. In the case of bees, you're trying to figure out their behavioral patterns and trying to understand how you can get these sensors on these bees in the safest way possible. You're learning something new. And that's really exciting, I think.
0: A couple months ago, you came out with this research paper. And basically, you're using Alexa to monitor people while they sleep. And you're looking for a very specific sound that someone makes when they're having a heart attack. Where did you get the idea to to go after that?
1: This problem is actually pretty close to me because heart problems are one of the biggest problems facing South Asians, in particular South Asian men, one of the major reasons for fatality in the South Asian population. So... We have a pretty good group of collaborators. One of them is Jake Sunshine and Department of Medicine at UW. And we were thinking about this problem of like, how can we actually go after the problem of cardiac arrest and health and try to use technology? And one of the things which we came up with is basically, when you're having a cardiac arrest, you're basically having a gasping of sound problem, which is called an agonal breathing event, where you're basically gasping for breath. And these are audible signatures, are audible biomarkers. And we were trying to see if we can actually recognize these audible biomarkers using machine learning techniques. So there are multiple problems to actually do this. First, where do you get these the data set for these agonal breathing events? And second, how do you make sure that these don't get confused with snoring or other things which could potentially happen in your typical bedroom scenario? So the way we solved the first problem was we went to uh, the King County 911 agency. And what we figured out that was that we got all their calls correspond to cardiac arrest for the last 10 years. And in those calls... It turns out that agonal breathing is a metric people use to figure out if you need to send emergency services right to the patient. So they actually have the person place a phone next to the, uh, the mouth to hear these agonal breathing gasp sounds because that is very indicative that there's probably a cardiac arrest happening. And it's also very indicative that if it actually happens, the probability that if you can provide CPR in a timely manner, the probability that you can save the person's life is actually pretty high. So we got that data and then we went to the sleep lab at UW and we had lots of data about snoring and other things. And we basically trained a machine learning algorithm, which can run on your Alexa or on your smartphone, which can basically classify between all these different sounds which typically happen in a bedroom versus agonal breathing. And we showed that your simple machine learning algorithm can identify these agonal breathing events with more than 99.9% accuracy. And that's great. Because now, if you have, I have an Alexa and I have an Alexa Echo, which is basically right next to me in my bedroom. Today, I only use it for waking myself up. I just set an alarm, and I use it for playing white noise, effectively. But if that same Alexa was basically monitoring me, it was figuring out if I had a cardiac arrest and calling nine one one or someone else who's my partner in a different room. I can potentially be saved if, in a, if it's a timely manner.
0: Yeah, I think what's so exciting to me about that project is, you know. You can imagine that being rolled out very soon. You know, we have, like, smart speakers in nursing homes are extremely popular. And can you imagine if everyone in a nursing home in the United States had this helper listening to them, detecting a heart attack and alerting someone whenever something like that occurs?
1: These are only $30. I mean, I think the latest Amazon Echo, is, Echo Dot is $30. For $30, you can have a huge impact on the human life.
0: So given everything you've come out with, and a lot of this work came out this year, What is the next thing that you're just most excited about?
1: I think we are uh, trying to go from doing spot checks to more population-scale health. And some of the things which you can think of as like respiration monitoring or respiratory diseases or like flu and all these different diseases, if we can predict some of these things using smart speakers, that can have a huge impact at a population level scale, which is just not one person, but like you're talking about the whole population. I think that's where I see this whole space going. The second direction I see the space going is democratizing medical devices. I mean, it just boggles my mind when I go to the hospital and I see these devices, $3,000, $4,000, that's a minimum device. Some of these things cost like tens of thousands of dollars to even a million dollars. So trying to use the advances and the, the scale which has gone on with smart speakers and smartphones and smart watches, trying to leverage that to basically significantly reduce the cost of these medical devices, I think is going to be the next huge impact point people can actually have.
0: Well, great. Thanks so much for coming in and being part of the GeekWire Health Tech
1: podcast. Thank you so much, James. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks so much to Shyam Golakota and thank you for listening to the GeekWire Health Tech podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app or tell a friend or colleague about the show. See more episodes at geekwire.com slash and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. This episode of Health Tech was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Thank you to our sponsor of Health Tech Season 4, Primera Blue Cross. You can find out more about their work at Primera.com slash innovation. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to GeekWire.com. Sign up for our podcast newsletter to hear all of our shows. I'm reporter James Thorne. Thanks for listening to Health Tech.